Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, September 2nd, 2023. And our top story today, the U.S. economy continues to grow, but could the stock market struggle? And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Jane King is a financial journalist joining us from the NASDAQ. Jane, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us again on the program this morning. Yes. Uh, happy Labor Day weekend, Jeffrey. Great to be here. I was going to say the same to you. You beat me too. Happy Labor Day weekend to you. And here we are <laughs> kind of settling into a longer weekend here in the United States. And I think Canada has the same, same holiday. Jane, I want to check in. Let's talk about jobs. Let's talk about the market. Let's talk about the economy. Let's start with jobs. Yeah, so we got big jobs report on Friday, and uh, the U.S. added 187,000 jobs last month. It's a little bit more than expected. They did take down a job growth last month. In fact, I think the previous two months. So it shows the job market definitely slowing down from where we were six, 12 months ago. The unemployment rate jumped to 3.8%. So that was kind of a shocking number. We expect 3.5%. So that tells us people are losing their jobs and not walking out the door with another one, like what we were seeing maybe last year, taking a little longer to find jobs. Uh, the participation rate in the labor force now at the highest since uh, February 2020. So um, we're kind of back to normalizing things after the pandemic and all the payments people were getting. And looks like people are getting off the couch and starting to find work. So healthcare, uh, the big adder of jobs last month. So um, the markets uh, seem to like it. Interest rates went down when the number came out. Stocks went up. So we'll see where we go from here. Yeah, and and you, you mentioned healthcare. That is an area of the economy where, um, always seems to be very stable, but I know there have been nursing shortages, there are doctor shortages, there are staff shortages. They really, you know, when you look at a particular sector, Jane, they really need some help. Uh, they do. I mean, and they're really paying up for nurses right now, but there was so much burnout, I think, during the pandemic. A lot of people left um, and, you know, they're not being replenished yet. So it definitely is an area, if you're looking for a job, it's an area to consider. I might, I might actually, I, th I think I, my wife tells me I have a good bedside matter. So maybe, it's, maybe that's something I'll, <laughs> I'll part-time work. Yeah. If, if it doesn't work out at BRN, who knows, <laughs> you know, it could be your nurse. Uh, Jane, let's, let's talk a little about the stock market up this week. Um, I think you're going to tell us, but, but let's talk about what the market looks like after the Labor Day holiday. I don't want to get into the prognostication business, but we know that historically lower trading volumes in August and September yeah. Okay, break it break it down though. Where where do we where do we stand after uh, the Labor Day holiday on the fifth? Well, we had a, a positive week last week, a down month of August though. So um, I believe our first down month of the year. Uh, so, um, but nice little in, end of the month rally, um, really pretty strong, up like four days in a row. So that was certainly nice to see. Now September traditionally is the worst month of the year for the stock market. We get our big drops in October historically, but we grind lower during the month of September. So we'll see, um, but this jobs report uh, that we got, maybe that will launch us on a better September than what we historically have seen. And I think we've seen, we saw just when talking about economic data, the GDP number, I think revised down for Q2. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think it was like 2.1% growth, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. you, can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, how does that all tie in to what we're talking about, which is where the stock market could be knowing that September could be a down month. Yeah, well, this, the stock market has been worried about more interest rate increases, but the economic data we got this week relieves a little bit of the pressure 
on the Federal Reserve. The job market's slowing down a little bit. The economy certainly isn't overheating. So there's not as much pressure on them. We may still get an interest rate hike, but maybe one instead of three, or maybe two instead of three, or something like that. So I think that that's been the main focus of the market over really the past year and a half of these interest rate increases. And looks like we're definitely pretty close to being done with those. And lastly, Jane, inflation, I, I think it's ebbed and cooled in some places, but here I'm reading, you know, with the, with the hurricane, Adalia, I think is the, what they're calling it, uh, gas prices could shoot back up. What about food prices? They seem to have come down maybe in certain subcategories, but still yeah. kind of hot. Well, they are, and some more than others, and some for different reasons, you know, like we had the egg situation with the bird flu, and weather is an issue. Um, weather looks pretty good. Now, the Midwest um, did have a lot of heat and dryness, um, so that could impact particularly the corn crop this year. They just did this pro-farmer um, Midwest tour, and they thought things looked a little dry, and they really needed one more good rain before they start the harvest, which will happen in mid-September. Um, so, but nothing really alarming. Now, that hurricane did go through the Gulf of Mexico, but more toward Florida. It didn't really hit that energy-rich area of Houston and Louisiana. Um, so we did see oil build in a little bit of a premium, but that doesn't seem to be long-lasting either. Yeah. Well, Jane, always great to see you. Wishing you a very happy Labor Day. Great Labor Day. And we look forward to having you back again next week. Take care. See you next week. Thanks, Jane. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. And when we come back, we'll take a look at some of our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. This week, we had another great week of shows with great topics, of course, great guests. We kicked off the week with a look at helping women achieve financial security and independence. Let's take a look. Great opportunity to talk about the uh, new study survey. So yeah. I thought I'd just take a minute to sort of highlight the challenges that women still face so that the audience sort of knows what 
these issues are. Um, And so, you know, the lower lifetime wages, the part-time work due to caregiving responsibilities, longer lifespans, longevity risks, less access to workplace plans. Um, These challenges also affect and result in lower um, benefits from Social Security and likely any retirement benefits. And all of those issues, market volatility, inflation, caregiving responsibilities, all of them negatively impact an ability for a woman to age well, age as she desires. We initiated this survey to really lift up the voices of women, women 25 and older, women with lower income, so we can better understand what they're feeling, what they think could even help. And what was fascinating um, was that they do think there are opportunities for policy change that could make a difference, that could help. But the reality, the brutal reality is that women are scared, they're fearful, they're literally terrified that they are going to run out of resources. Um, And the pandemic, the economic instability, the market volatility has only reinforced just a real concern and fear of being out of control. And we're seeing that in terms of an uptake in um, early social security claims for instance, that people are worried that the program won't be there. And so they're claiming early and taking a lifetime cut as a result. So I think there are some real factors here that demonstrate we're long overdue in addressing what it takes to ensure all women can age well with financial security. And this uh, public opinion survey that Wiser and NCOA partnered on provides a bit of a blueprint, a pathway for some tangible policy proposals that could make a difference. I think the bigger issue is that women don't have access to retirement plans at the workplace. That's huge. And that's along with um, 45 million other people that don't have access. Um, And and the other important issue, um, I think, is that there are about 24 million um, workers who actually have access, but they don't do anything about it. They they don't, well, they don't know. Um, I mean, we get tons of stories from people that are really upsetting, you know, that they were there, they didn't know, nobody told them, which is why they need, you know, one of your later questions, the financial literacy, so is really important. Um, but, you know, women are scared, um, and that comes as no surprise, I, I think, you know, that the what their top concerns are, what the survey showed, the cost of housing. Social Security and Medicare being cut. I mean, how can you, the programs that women most rely on are always the ones like Ramsey said, they're taking that early because they think that the program might go away. They hear politicians say something, you know, that we're going to do all these things to the programs and they just run scared and think, well, I better take it now. You know, if I don't take it now, it won't be there. Um, And then the other thing is not having enough savings to retire and outliving their savings is is also a big issue. And living paycheck to paycheck, um, not being able to pay bills. So um, a couple of things from the study that I think were really interesting are that, you know, three and four low income women by ethnicity reported having no emergency savings. And that's really key for that, that, you know, population. Um, And that means if they had a real emergency, they would be wiped out financially. So it's it's another reason to be um, really upset. Um, And when thinking about retirement, a third of low-income women say that they're terrified. Terrified. Um, So, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, we, we, as Ramsey sort of mentioned, we 
or <laughs> as Ramsey mentioned, not she didn't sort of, she actually mentioned um, the uh, the types of policies that women support are strengthening social security in various ways. Um, and so I'll mention a couple that really stood out for us and that we're gonna be working on together, um, which are strengthening social security um, by revising the cost of living adjustment, raising the minimum benefit, making sure that we address caregiver costs through tax breaks because of the out-of-pocket costs that caregivers are, are you know, taking all the time and not, you know, not even realizing how it's hurting them. And then, you know, access to the supplemental security income as well. So our, our hope for the survey is to um, focus the attention of women and their families and the policymakers on issues um, and solutions to the financial challenges that we're talking about. For over 70 years at the National Council on Aging, we've been working to help older adults age well. So we have programs to assist with job training and job placement, get people connected to programs that can help with food and medicine, evidence-based programs that can help them navigate their chronic conditions like diabetes and hypertension and obesity. We even have evidence-based programs around navigating falls prevention and gaining access to life-saving vaccines. And I can tell you the vast majority of those coming to seek help are women. Last year, we impacted the lives of nearly 6 million older adults, over 70% of which were women, many coming struggling to make basic ends meet. And so we're long overdue to refresh all of our policies, all of our programs, and to really invest in some robust support and education to make sure the women that have raised the next generation, allowed our economy to thrive as a result, uh, are allowed to age with dignity, security, and purpose. And this survey that we conducted, What Women Say, you can find it on ncoa.org forward slash what women say, really lifts up the voices of women to share what their pain points are and some real tangible recommendations that interestingly enough are quite bipartisan in their support. So if elected officials are paying attention. There is a bipartisan agenda here to ensure women can age well. And I look forward to talking about that more. And we also discussed tips to help pay down your credit card debt. Let's take a look. CARE stands for Credit Abuse Resistance Education. It was an organization started 20 years ago by a bankruptcy judge in Rochester, New York, who saw the epidemic of young adults coming into his courtroom, filing individual Chapter 7s and Chapter 13s, and the common denominator he found was the lack of any financial literacy. So we started this grassroots organization that has grown to 30 chapters of the United States. We are uh, founders of the Southern California chapter. There's basically lawyers, bankers, judges, people who deal with debt on a day-to-day -day basis, going into young adults, high schools, other organizations, and trying to teach them uh, good credit principles and, and good practices so that they don't become a debtor in uh, a bankruptcy judge's courtroom. Sure, like as Jess said, we have chapters across the country. So depending on which state you're in, we may have a chapter there. For Los Angeles, if you go to our website, carelosangeles.org. There is a volunteer form in there. There's information about our organization and how to contact us. And if you are in another state, we can put you in contact with that chapter. Um, but we definitely would love to have volunteers or people interested in, in joining us or having us do a presentation at their um, community um, you know, organization or their schools. Yeah, so I think if you look at the numbers, I think the uh, as of June 2023, it succeeded a trillion dollars in credit card debt. 
which is up in the last two years, I think over 15%. And I think there's good reasons for it now that some of the lessons of the pandemic are gonna come into focus. Uh, the tremendous stimulus that was put into the economy by the government while people were not spending caused a significant increase in the amount of savings. And when life got back to normal to some extent and people were starting to spend, that is what has driven the economy. And that is what I think is, is at least saved us from the recession up to now. Uh, so yeah, it has been an epidemic. Um, I think it, even more now than ever before, understanding credit card debt, understanding how it accumulates, understanding how to keep your spending limits uh, in, in tow, understanding credit scores, all these things are extremely important. And we go into a lot of inner city schools uh, again, a lot of these uh, young adults are not part of the general economy. Um, some, a lot of them are on, on lunch programs, uh, but most of them have not had any conversations with a teacher, with a family member, with a friend. And we, I think, provide a vital service in coming in. And again, it's not that credit is bad. Credit is part of our life. It's but teaching young adults to be uh, aware of credit what the pitfalls are and how to use it properly. But yeah, this is a, there's no better time to, uh, to have this topic uh, come up in the forefront. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we really teach, uh, especially students that are gonna be getting their first credit cards. And we'll talk a little bit about things that, you know, you can look to and what credit cards to look to and the importance of doing your research on what credit cards you're getting and understanding the terms such as interest rate and so forth. But, you know, I think the one thing that's really important to us is credit is not bad. Credit is important. Credit and having a credit report is very important. So I want to make it really clear when we go in, we're not trying to teach these kids that credit is bad. You need to be responsible that your credit report is like your um, is like your school report card. It's your character. And so I think that people have to be very careful in terms of selecting what credit cards they have. And, you know, credit cards are going to be important for emergencies and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be really important to take a look at, you know, what credit card you get. And the better uh, credit report rating you have, the better interest rate you're going to get. And one of my favorite slides, I think the most impactful slide in our whole presentation, and I think maybe Jeff, you've seen our presentation, yeah. is really to talk about what if you bought an iPhone and you've made the minimum payments on that iPhone. Now, when we were doing this four or five years ago, the interest rate we were showing on the credit card was like 15, 16%. And we showed that if you did make the minimum payments, it would take you five years to pay off the iPhone. You would be paying off the iPhone 12 when the iPhone 17 came out. The fact that the interest rates now, I think the average interest rates on the credit cards are not 16%, but they're closer to 20%. Yep. That if we run the numbers, that five years becomes seven years. And that is, I think, the most impactful thing that we try to communicate, because that all comes with keeping a balance, right? So credit cards are useful for emergencies, they're useful con for convenience. But unless you pay as much as you can each month, the problem with credit card debt is the accumulation over time. The, your mind plays tricks on you. You go and buy something. It's like, oh, I, you know, I open up a credit card. I sign for it. I just have to pay $40 a month. You don't really understand what type of debt you're getting into. And for the person who's making $30,000, $40,000 a year to wake up four years down the road 
and with finance charges and show that they owe $7,500, there is no way out other than bankruptcy. So really trying to show young adults the impact of not paying off your credit every month or at least as much as you can, that I think is what I found is the aha moment where students and quite honestly, teachers have come after and said, wow, I wish I would have known that. So that, that is, I think, one of our big takes. And one thing I was going to say on like that, I mean, when we're teaching that, the eyes go wide open on these students when they learn the concept of compounding, you know, <laughs> of interest every month. You know, it's not only what you're paying this month, but from last month and the month before. And they're shocked when they see, like in this thing that we were talking about with the iPhone, that, you know, you bought it, it was supposed to be $1,500 and you've now paid $3,000, you know, for it with interest over five years. And, so, and, and, and the flip side, look, we've always been taught, right, as young people growing up, you want to start saving early, right? Why do you want to start saving early? Just like your debt can compound significantly, your savings can compound significantly. So while we don't get into it as much in our truth and credit for the broader population that may be hearing this, saving when you're early is going to help you be more financially secure as you go towards retirement. So I have a son who's 25. He put his bar mitzvah money in stocks. You know, it's grown in the last 10 years. And, you know, he now has a little uh, a nest egg. So he, he won't have to rely on his inheritance. Well, I think one of the things that we talk about a lot is uh, this concept of a secured credit card. And the importance, it's almost like I say, it's a, a training credit card for people. And that is that you put in the bank collateral of a certain amount, and you are able to charge up to that amount each month, no more. So it kind of puts a stop on what you're able to uh, you know, afford each month. And I think it's been really helpful. There's a, there's a um, uh, it's called Nerd Wallet. It's an app that you can go onto and you can look and it helps you look at different types of credit cards. One for the interest rates you were talking about, Jeff, earlier and the terms and so forth. But also, you know, you can look for secured credit cards. And I think as a parent, I think it's really important. I mean, most of the schools we go into, Jeff, do not, a lot of these kids do not have or use their parents' credit cards. They just don't. And the parents might not even have credit cards. Um, but, you know, they, we try to teach them that when you turn 18, getting a secured credit card in your own name is really important. And, you know, parents are learning from their kids as well. You know, when they go back home and they tell them about what they've learned, we've uh, gotten emails back from people saying, you know, thank you. This was very helpful from teachers, like Jeff said, uh, for them. Let, let yeah. me add one thing, Jeff. So with my sure. kids, what I've done to deal with the issue of spending is I put them on budgets. I've had them come up and be thoughtful starting around when they're 13 and 14 and basically go through what they need for their hobbies, what they need for food with friends, entertainment, clothing, et cetera, and to come. And the point was not to limit their spending uh, than what they were doing, but for them to be thoughtful and mindful of their spending. And I think too many parents don't do that. They give, as you said, the credit card and they just pay the bill. But what I found is that has enabled my children as they grow up to make decisions. Do I want two pair of pants that are going to cost $40 each? Or do I want one pair of pants at 80? Do I want quality? Do I want quantity? And to make those decisions. And now that my son is 26 and living on his own in Chicago, I see the results of it. And at least it, that's one thing I succeeded on, I can say, um, in teaching. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah one sure. thing I would say that's made it actually, I see that with the kids. My, I have a 13 year old, but to make it easier for parents, a lot of times people are now giving their kids Apple Pay or access to Apple Pay. And a lot of times parents are not monitoring what their kids are spending on Apple Pay. So while it's a good thing to be able to have Apple Pay, I think it's also like Jeff was saying, you got to teach responsibility and connection with using uh, Apple Pay. Well, certainly great segments. I want to thank all of our great contributors this week. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle wellness finance tech, so much more and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by the Legal Eagles and Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network to break down all the news and events for the week. So until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.